in the treehouse this morning, you can stay seated for just a moment. I will dismiss you, I promise. However, we do have some fun things to celebrate. Uh, so happy anniversary. <clears throat> Absolutely. So I'm, I'm Trace, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, one of the planting partners uh, when we started five years ago, my, my family and another family, the Ransoms, who are no longer here. Um, as I look around the room, there's not many of you that were here five years ago. There's a couple. There's a couple. Um, I mean, you were around five years ago, all of you. You weren't here with us starting this church, and God has just been extremely faithful. As you know, in the city of Oceanside, just being so close to Camp Pendleton, we are constantly seeing people come and go. It's just the nature of our community, right? And so we embrace that. We, we're not a military-friendly church. We're a military-focused church. We want to make sure that people know they have a home away from home that they can come into and just be loved on for a season and then sent back out more equipped to do what God has called them to do. And that's a high calling, I think. And to see what God has done in these five years I mean, so many families coming through these doors, so many people, you know, being reached at this school, being here in this particular school for five years has been awesome. Like we've been able to minister the needs of the community here. This is a, what is it, a Title 10 school, is that what it's called? Title I. Title I. So free lunches for the entire school, like this is an impoverished area, so we love the idea of partnering with them. We've done kids games here for multiple years. We've seen hundreds of children come through our programs seen people come to faith in Christ. We've baptized many people. God has done all of it, but he's used every person that stepped through these doors that's called Pillar Home. And that's a lot of you here today. Many of you here, maybe it's your first time. You're like, hey, five years. Great. That's awesome. But I did want to just celebrate a little bit about what God is doing. And, and it's easy to do through pictures. So we're going to throw a couple pictures up there just to give you an idea of kind of where we are and where we've come from. Phil, just follow my lead if you would. So us on the left, obviously, the Ransoms on the right, who we started with, and then that's Brian O'Day and his wife, our sending church from Jacksonville. That was like when we were, before we started, and you know, we look, we're like, we're all fresh and smiley and clean. <clears throat> and then you go to the next picture, right? That's not out of focus, that's what we look like. Like, we're like, what is happening right now? But, I mean, through that, and there you get an idea of how young our kids were. I mean, that was over five years ago before we started. Um, go ahead and move on to the next one, please. This was uh, our first sort of informational meeting. Hey, you want to know about Pillar Church? Come into my living room and let's go check it out. So this was our living room of our old house. Go ahead. Here's us. Some of you are here in this room that we're here. Uh, this is the science room at Chavez Middle School where the other church where we were meeting at. We met in that room all summer long leading up to a public launch here. So... Um, that was fun, and it was tight, and you can see it was just kind of we're all in there doing our thing, but um, it was fun. The next picture is kind of who was there that first day. That, that was it. Um, a handful of folks just trying to see what the Lord is doing with us. And then you can see our, our first, one of our first Sundays, I think, is the next picture in this very room. Looks a little different. We've, obviously, we've kind of made some upgrades along the way, and we've filled out some more of the chairs by God's grace, but that's kind of what it looked like in our earlier days. Next. And we got some outreach that we're doing. Of course, some friendly faces. Just move through these ones as you go here at the school doing a Christmas event. 
More Christmas stuff here. Oh, Delmi. Some faces from the past. Hey! So this is our very first baptism that we did. We actually borrowed this from the association, leaked everywhere. It was right here. It was just, when we were done, it was a total mess, but it was a beautiful thing as we baptized our sister in Christ, Kathy. Go ahead. We used to do stuff on the beach when it was um, fun to go to the beach because there was like 10 of us. We're like, hey, let's go to the beach. Now it's like, yeah, I would think that was to come hungry. Uh, we were all hungry. Um, there's not much there. Go ahead. It was a recent leadership meeting at, at our house. I, I just threw that in there because I, I think it's cool to see, you know, just who God has brought together and helping to lead our church. That was a, that was a face of like, hey, this is cool. It wasn't like, what's going on? That's our youth group. Uh, I think it was a Christmas party a few years back with some old faces. Back when we used to do Easter outside. We used to do it right out here in the grass, and we've kind of moved from after that, but it was fun. Kids games, of course, kind of the staple of what we do is outreach here in the community. Just, a, just an awesome privilege to do that. That's it, I guess. <clears throat> Anticlimactic. It's like, oh, there's something else here. Really, uh, it's the picture that I see here. Like, this, this is where God is now. And we, we look back and we celebrate what he's done, but we anticipate what he's going to do through each and every one of us. And that's, that's really what we're about, is, is doing the work of Christ right now, right where we are. The old adage of bloom where you're planted, you know, it's just kind of cheesy, but it's really kind of the heartbeat of what we want to do. We don't want, and we can't afford it to have people just kind of sitting on the sidelines watching. And Mike really set that up, and we're going to dig into this a little bit more, of taking that baton and going forward and moving down that path. And so I just want to celebrate what God has done. I want to thank all of you that have been with us every step of the way, even if this is your first time. You know, you're a part of this. You're a part of what is going on here, what God is doing through you. So uh, thank you and, and thank, thank the Lord for all that he's done in these five years. And we look forward to what's coming next. Yeah, amen. You can clap. Sure. I told you, you guys can go line up in the back now. Go with Mr. Brent. Oh, just taking a picture. Have fun, Brent. All right, so this morning we are picking back up with what we started last week. As you can see, we are in 2 Timothy. So as I'm talking, you can kind of turn your Bibles there. We'll read through our passage in a moment. So this is his second letter, Paul's second letter to Timothy. And we learned a lot about him last week. If you weren't here, you're not sure, you know, what, what this guy Timothy is all about, I'd encourage you to go back and listen online. It's on the website, PillarOceanside.com. Um, Mike and Adrian did some good research and presentation of material to tell us a little bit more about the guy Timothy and why this is significant. And, and Mike drew a clear picture, like what is happening? What it was, what's the reason for this letter? What's the background of the, the people that are reading this, why is it important, why is it significant at all? What is the tent? So I just want to kind of, by way of short review, to tell you what's going on. Where's Paul at this point? He's in jail, right? He's in prison. He's in Rome. And it's very likely that he's days away from his death. And he knows it. He's on trial. He's been convicted. All he's basically waiting for is his death sentence. So he is facing his death head on, and he knows it. And he's, so as he comes to the end of his life, he's looking for this opportunity to pass on something to this guy named 
Timothy. So what is it that if you are on your deathbed or you know that you're facing certain death, what do you want to impart to those that are coming behind you? This is what's setting up this entire letter. And so, uh, of course, that's why we're calling this series What Matters Most. What is it that is the essential thing that we need to grab hold of and move forward as we run our own race? And, and I loved just the imagery from last week with kind of the, the baton being handed off, whether you're the one handing the baton off or you're the one that's grabbing it and continuing to go. Either way, you don't stop the race, right? Uh, if you're handing it off, you're like, finally, I'm done. I can just quit. Like, that's not the idea. The idea is to keep on going with that person. Maybe you slow down a little bit and they just continue going forward, but we don't stop. The, the, the race is on and it's a marathon race that we continue to pass on from generation to generation. And I think it's really important for us to recognize the significance of passing it off. Someone once said, we're only ever one generation away from losing the gospel. I mean, that's, <laughs> I think, why Paul is so worked up about this, why he's kind of in anguish about what's going on. So another little aspect here, uh, what's going on in the Christian world that is, is causing Paul such anguish? Christianity, 2,000 years ago, around the time this has been written, is kind of on the ropes, so to speak, or it seemed like things were not going well. This guy named Emperor Nero, right, the emperor of Rome, he is dead set on seeing Christianity wiped off the planet. He doesn't want to have anything to do with it. And he's doing a pretty good job rounding up all these leaders like Paul and killing them. I mean, that's why he's in prison, because Nero was out for his head. Peter is another one. In fact, Peter and Paul were probably murdered on the same day, martyred on the same day. Paul by beheading and Peter, at his request, crucified upside down. That's church, you know, history that tells us that. It's not written down here in the Bible, but... Um, this is what's happening. Christianity is being flushed out everywhere. Not only that, but there's this huge rise of false teachers, what we call heretics, people that are preaching something other than the truth of the gospel that Paul preached. And they're coming in left and right, right behind Paul, trying to pervert, is what Paul says, the message that he's been teaching. So the first century Christian state of being is not good. Things look very dismal. In fact, uh, this, this guy, a couple hundred years ago, named Bishop Mool, said it like this. Christianity trembled, humanly speaking, on the verge of annihilation. I mean, that's not good. <laughs> Things are bad. And Paul, I think, understands this more than anybody, right? Here's a guy that for the last 30 years has invested everything to go and plant new churches preach the gospel everywhere that he goes, raising up leaders, all the while being beaten, mocked, stoned, imprisoned, shipwrecked, you name it, it's happened to him, right? For 30 years. And yet he says in verse 3 of this chapter, I thank God whom I serve. Paul is just like this... <laughs> You want a, a target to aim at? Like, just go read Paul and look at what he's saying. After all of that, I thank God for whom I serve. He lived out running a race, 
running the race well, and he was all about being a protector of the gospel, a keeper, a guardian of the gospel. In fact, that's, that's basically what the message is this morning. If I was going to title it, it would be The Guardian. I was going to do a play on Guardian of the Galaxy, but that was pretty cheesy, so I tried not to. But we'll say it, guard, Guardians of the Gospel, essentially is what we're looking at here. But let's just get back to the point of the message real quick. Paul told Timothy in his first letter, if you just flip back a page probably, in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy in verse 20, he says, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. He's, he's pouring out himself. Just guard what you have. Now, as we're going to read in a moment, he says the exact same thing. Guard the good deposit that's put in you. Except now, it's with an increased level of urgency and significance. The, the, the deposit entrusted to Timothy is what? The gospel, right. I, I don't want to assume anything or pass over anything too quickly, but yes, that's exactly what it is. The most significant thing that Timothy has to pass on, or that Paul has to pass on to Timothy, rather, is the gospel message. That is what matters most, and it must continue. Timothy's got to pick up that baton, got to keep going, and if you really think about it, that's why all of us are here right now, right? Somebody before us grabbed the baton and kept running, persevered, guarded the gospel, spoke it out, that we heard it, we embraced it, and then we in turn picked up the baton. We're a part of a legacy of faith that will continue until Jesus returns. That's a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing that we get to be a part of that. Let's look at the, the, what we're talking about here. 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our own works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which we have in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all of Asia, or all who are in Asia, turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Well, this is our, our, our text for this morning. I'm going to offer uh, just a prayer, and we'll continue. Father, we just ask for your strength this morning, your guidance, and your wisdom. Lord, illuminate the Word. Let the truth here just resonate in our hearts. God, speak to us through your Scriptures. Lord, speak through me. God, help me to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit as I work to deliver the truth in a way that's clear and concise. God, thank you for 
the good deposit that has been entrusted to us. God, let us guard it and keep it well. And let us see from your word how we do that. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have questions, you can text them in this morning to the number on the screen, also in your bulletin. And we will answer those toward the end of the service. But uh, you look with verse 8. What's the first word in verse 8 in the ESV? Therefore. So usually when you see a therefore, it's kind of hearkening back. You know, it's reaching back to what we just talked about. Um, Particularly verse 6 and 7. I won't read it. I'll just kind of paraphrase what you got going on here. He's basically telling Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God. And remember, you don't have a spirit of fear. What do you have? Power, love, and self-control. Therefore, he's kind of setting up, because you have all that stuff, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of me as a prisoner. This is Paul, right? Don't be ashamed. What, is it, what does it imply if Paul is telling him not to be ashamed? That some other people are what? That they are ashamed, right? He sees, sees other people who are ashamed and he's telling them, don't be like that. In fact, I just want to jump down to verse 15 real quick because we may not get there in its full completion, but I think this is kind of the, the point of this, what he's saying. He gives us a couple examples of people who are ashamed and turn their back, right? These guys that he calls out by name, Phygelus and Hermogenes, like they just turn their back, like I'm gone. And all of Asia, which I think probably is a little bit of uh, exaggeration on Paul's part. Certainly not every single person in Asia is turning his, their back on Paul, but you can see there's a huge population that is like, nope, Paul's in prison, people are getting beat, I'm out. Like, this, this is not worth it. I'm just going to go the other direction. And then we've got these other people, namely Onesiphorus, which is a cool name if you're looking for baby names. <clears throat> he stayed steady, steadfast. So that's essentially what Paul is closing that little section with, is examples of steadfastness, not being ashamed, and then others just turning their back. So I'll ask you, can you be an ambassador can you be an advocate for Jesus if you're ashamed? No. So the first exhortation of, of three that we're going to get is pretty, pretty straightforward. Don't be ashamed. Now we're not going to get deep into this, uh, but we know there are a variety of ways that people can be ashamed of the Lord. Especially in today's day and age, we've got a lot of sort of competing and conflicting spiritual views, religions, all these things. You don't want to stand out, right? You don't want to be this kind of weird person or this holy roller or whatever name they want to put on you, whatever label. And so oftentimes we do things that kind of hide our identity or we don't want to be associated with people in that category. And so we make decisions that can look to be shameful. Maybe it happens at school, right? Perhaps some of you have seen this. A believer stands up for something that's wrong. Maybe somebody's getting, you know, picked on or something is, is, is wrong, and they, they stand up and they proclaim a gospel truth. You know, they say something about Jesus and the love of Christ, and then all of a sudden they're getting just insults hurled at them, and people are just, just wrecking this person. And you know there's other Christians in the crowd, but what are they doing? Not a thing, right? That's being ashamed of the gospel. Now, yes, there's some fear of man built into that, like, oh, what are people going to say? But it finds its root in being ashamed of the gospel. 
What if you're, you know, say you're on a business trip with a bunch of guys or you're TAD somewhere and you get a night out and they're all going out for a night of drinking in the strip club, right? And then a dude stands up, Christian, not trying to make a big deal out of it, but he's like, you know what, guys, go ahead. That's just not something that I'm going to do. I, it's not, it doesn't line up with what I believe. And of course, here comes the, the ridicule and, you know, and all the names. You know there's an, at least one or two other Christian guys in there that you've identified and, and what are they doing? I'm going out for a good night. I certainly don't want to be associated with that guy. And look, look how they're treating him. Right? Whatever the scenario is, play it out however you want in your mind. I think at some point we're, we're all guilty of this. But let me read you something that, that might change your heart. I'm, in fact, I'm just going to read off the screen. Then we'll go this. Mark 8.38. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words... In this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now that's a scary statement, right? And we just need to really consider the weight of what God is saying here. The more that we grow and understand our faith, the more likely we are to stand firm in it. If you're a young believer, I understand the struggle. <laughs> Even for believers that are a few years in, it can be challenging to stand up against some of the things that we're facing. But Paul's very clear. Don't be ashamed. We're going to be mocked. Some of you have been for your belief, which is why in the very next verse he says, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of the Lord. Friends, this is part of guarding the deposit that's put in you, is suffering. We will share in this. So we got to have a gospel-centered confidence and just a bravery to stand up for the truth. And, and here's, the here's the beautiful thing about way, the way that Paul's encouraging us. He sort of moves into very specific ways in which we can walk confidently and, and bravely. He doesn't just tell us, hey, don't be ashamed, good luck, we'll see you on the other side. He's going to give us some things. Three, in fact, when it comes to walking out this idea of sharing in <clears throat> suffering. Number one is how. How do we successfully share in suffering? We see in verse 8, by what? By the... By the what? The who? Okay, it's on the screen, just so you know, right at the bottom. The last three words. The power of God! Right? We're not on our own here, guys. This is something that we need to understand. We are weak, ordinary vessels, right? We're described of as jars of clay, by design. This is not an accident. It doesn't make sense to the world, right? But there's this kingdom principle that says that when we're weak, we're what? We're strong. What kind of sense does that make? When we're weak, we're strong? What are you trying to say here, God? That doesn't make any sense. Let's read another scripture to try to flesh this out a little bit. Look, look at 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. This is um, Jesus uh, speaking to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect and in weakness. Paul's response, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Okay, so we still don't have much about how this functions, like Okay, I get the concept, but how? What does that even mean? Here's the takeaway. 
Jesus is all that we need to walk through these circumstances, through these trials, through this persecution, through this suffering. But here's the thing. We actually need Him and what He offers. I don't know about you, but I think some of us have a tendency to walk through our faith journey without His help and guidance until we feel like we need it. <laughs> We're like, I got this, God. Just go ahead and take a break. I'm going to go down this way, and I'll let you know if I need any help. Right? We're guilty of that. But when we come against persecution, that's when it really gets challenging. So Paul wants to make doubly sure that when, not if, we share in suffering, we require the power of God to persevere. When I'm weak, when you're weak, and you're at the end of your capacity, you can't do any more. The reason you are now strong is because you're not the one doing it anymore. God is working through you. You don't have anything else to give. And thank God, because you're screwing it up. Get out of the way. Then Christ works through you. That's what he means, that when we're weak, we're strong, because it's not us anymore. It's the power of God through us. And that's, a, that's an important distinction. Number two, why? Why do we suffer? Because he suffered, but because the gospel is worth it. We suffer because the gospel is worth it. And in, in verses 9 through 12, Paul's going to give us some really good reminders. In fact, what he's going to do is spell out the gospel for us. Look at verse 9. He saves us. He saves us, rescues us from our awful condition. And then I'm going to throw some big words at you, but I'm going to try to work them out so that we're all on the same page here. He sanctifies us by calling us to be holy because He is holy. In other words, become less like our old sinful nature, those old ways, and become more like who? More like Jesus, right? This is a process. It's a lifelong journey. But as we become more like Christ and left less like ourselves, we are in the process of what is called sanctification. It's a little fancy word, but it's good and important that we know what this is talking about here. And then he says, hey, by the way, this is not because you're earning it, right? We see that. Not because of your own strength or power or because you think you need it. It's by God's grace. And it's for his purpose that he's growing you and maturing you. So you're not earning it. But look at verse 10. Love this part. Who abolished death and brought life and immortality. So Jesus is the death of death. You ever think about that? He conquered it on our behalf when he died for our sins, satisfied the rightful wrath of God against us, and then on the third day, what? Rose again. This is a critical part of the salvation process. So a great exchange took place on the cross. We see the righteousness of Christ exchanged for our unrighteousness. God's perfection and innocence exchanged for our guilt. That's a very important thing that we need to understand. This moment, this action, is called justification. You ever heard that word before? Justification. It's a very important thing. And we talked about it yesterday at men's group. Uh, the definition that kind of helps you understand or remember that word is built into the word justified. It's just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. 
just as if I'd never sinned. That's exactly what happens. When the Father looks at us through Christ, we appear righteous and perfect, just as if I'd never sinned. That's what happened on the cross. The exchange took place. And then to top it all off, he says, there's life and immortality. So now Paul's talking about the future hope that we get to spend eternity with him in heaven. A beautiful thing, like that's where we're going, right? There's actually a term for that as well. Anybody know that term? Well, we finally are raised up with Christ. Glorification, right? That's the end of our journey. We're, we're up there. Glorification. A lot of theological terminology we're throwing around this morning, but uh, I think it's all good because this is a part of how we become children of God, how we move beyond the wrath of God and, and walk in forgiveness. And this is good news, my friends, is it not? Yes, it is. And it's why we share in suffering, because it's worth it. Do you agree with me? Yes. And so does Paul in verse 12, which is why I suffer as I do. Number three, when can we expect suffering? We see back in verse 10 that the good news of the gospel was brought to light. That means it was put on display. Somebody said it out loud, right? Things don't come to light unless somebody says something about it. It's like, oh, okay, here's the proclamation of the truth. Now it's out there for all to see. This is where we can generally expect persecution, opposition, and suffering. Now, not always, but by and large, that seems to be the case. When we're actually proclaiming the truth is when that suffering is going to happen. And so, Paul tells us to share in the suffering which comes through the proclamation of the gospel, which implies what? That the gospel is being proclaimed, right? So it's built in there, but don't be like, oh, somebody else will do it, right? We are called to share in the suffering for the gospel. That comes by way of proclamation. The implication is that we are the ones sharing the gospel, thereby sharing in the suffering. So, I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page too with this. Sharing the gospel, preaching the word of God, is not just for the pastoral professional, whatever that is, right? I, I don't even know what that is. But some people will say, well, that's your job. You're the, you're the pastor. You should be doing that. You're right. But it doesn't stop with me, or with Mike, or Dan, or anybody that's up here. That's not how it works. Right? Right? Okay, that's cool. Just Make sure we're on the same page here. Nobody's off the hook. But here's the deal. It's also not enough just to live a good godly life and put a good example, a good display on for everybody. Right? That's the old adage of, well, I won't even go there. Let's just say it's not enough. Words are required. At some point, we have to proclaim the gospel message out loud. And when we do, we shouldn't be surprised when suffering comes. So we suffer with the power of God at our side and because the gospel is worth it. All right, now let's move to the next section here because this is where we are commanded directly by Paul, guard the good deposit entrusted to you, which we now know is the gospel. But look at what he says in verse 12. For I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So guard here carries the meaning of a, a military member keeping watch over 
people or equipment or something. There's a sense of, I am, my whole purpose is to make sure that nothing happens to this stuff, right? And so God is keeping watch. He's guarding his gospel, and no one can match that power, amen? Nobody can overcome that. The perseverance, the preservation of the gospel until the end is settled, right? Even if we go back 2,000 years ago when we see like Christianity on the ropes or so we thought, it doesn't matter what it looks like. Christ is guarding the gospel until the day that he returns, so we can be sure that it will persevere. But it's our hands and our feet that carry it. That's what that means. And it gives us all the more reason to pick up and pass on the baton because we're part of that legacy that will endure until Christ returns. So then Paul gives us some practical steps. Verse 13, verse 13, sorry, I'm getting all cotton mouthy. Verse 13, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me. I love it. We don't have to figure this out for ourselves, right? We're not just left with um, a goal and a, and a commission and then that's it. He's telling us this, this pattern is an outline for how you're supposed to fight the good fight, how you're supposed to run with endurance, how you're supposed to keep the faith. And the more we read and understand the Word of God, the more of this pattern becomes familiar to us. It unfolds before us. The more that we're in gospel community and we see people walking out their faith, the more likely we are to look at it, observe it, watch it happen, and then take on that identity. It's like, oh, that's what it looks like? Let me go and do that. There are a variety of different ways in which we begin to see the outline, the structure of how we are to carry on the banner of truth that we've been given. And Paul tells us very simply, look, follow the pattern that I've laid out for you. And it's not just here, it's throughout all of the scriptures. It gives us all that we need. But there's a way that we do this that verse 13 mentions, in faith and love. So Paul is equally concerned with not only what we are guarding, but how we guard it as well. How do we do something with faith and love? By being in Christ, which is exactly what he tells us in verse 13, that you are in Christ Jesus. We are rescued, saved, redeemed, children of the Most High God. And only that, flip over to verse 14. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit that is entrusted you. We're in Christ. We've got the power of the Holy Spirit. Church, we are set up, positioned to guard well the deposit entrusted to us. We know what it is that we are guarding. Yes? We understand the cost associated with guarding it. And we now know how to guard it. We also know that we have the ultimate guard in Jesus and perfect helper in the Holy Spirit. I thank you. Church, we're ready to do this. Uh, many of us have been doing it for many, many years. Others of us are on the, the beginning part of that journey. But wherever we are, we just need to continue down the path. 
Do you get tired along the way? You bet. That's why next week, Paul's going to teach us about endurance. Because we're on, a, we're on a marathon race. Any marathon runners in the room? Any anti-runners in the room? Yeah, so we need to know about endurance, right? Endurance is something we need to understand. It's true. But for right now, we just need to understand we've been given a good deposit. So if you're a Christian this morning, I'm telling you right now, by way of Paul, through the Holy Spirit, guard the good deposit entrusted you, which includes a proclamation of it in love and faith, in the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. God is good. I'm supposed to say all the time. All the time? Okay, good. Thank you. So part of my responsibility and really anybody that gets up here is to faithfully proclaim the truth that we see in the scriptures, obviously. And we work to do that by making sure that the point of what we're saying is the point of the text that we just read. So in these 11 verses, hopefully you saw a lot of what was being talked about. Um, So regularly communicating, though, in addition to that, the gospel that we've been entrusted. You should hear elements of, if not the entire collection of truths that make up the gospel message every week whether it's here or through the Lord's Supper, you know, we we have a responsibility to do that. Uh, You heard it outlined earlier in the earlier verses of this passage. So now I want to talk to the people that maybe aren't a a Christian. You're not a believer yet this morning. Maybe you didn't quite catch everything that I had said as I was walking through, you know, the justification, sanctification, glorification. You're just like, whatever, dude, you're blowing my mind. Just stop talking for a minute. So I want to close with a little PSA. Anybody know what a PSA is? You would think so, but here, what I mean by PSA is a penal substitutionary atonement. Any fans of that? Yeah, okay. You see why I went with PSA. Penal, like law, like a code, right? Substitution, kind of what I talked about before. Um, Atonement, we'll get into that. So let me just read something to you as we walk through this. Penal substitutionary atonement refers to the doctrine that Christ died on the cross as a substitute for sinners. God imputed, right, or he charged the guilt of our sins to Christ. And he, in our place, took the punishment that we deserved. And it was a full payment for sins, not in part, full. And it satisfied his wrath against our sin, and it also preserved his righteousness and perfection so that he could give forgiving forgiveness of sinners without compromising his own holy standard. Now, the reason this is good news is because there's bad news that leads up to it. The bad news is, we're guilty. We have broken the law of God. Whether you understand what that means or not, we're guilty. Every one of us. Romans 3.23 makes it very clear when it says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
In fact, we were born with this sin nature, right? I don't have to teach my two-year-old how to steal a toy from their sibling or lie about whether they ate a cookie. I don't have to teach them that because it's inherently in who we are as fallen people because of the sin nature that we have. And that just unravels as we become human beings and we see again and again how we've fallen short. And because we've done that, we've broken God's law. We're in a bad place. We are accountable for the sin in our lives. There's a punishment, right? You break the law, you drive drunk, you get caught, what happens? You're going to jail. There is a punishment in this world, just like in God's kingdom. Same exact thing. And apart from the amazing act of love by God, we have no avenue for forgiveness. It's not possible. We're guilty and condemned before God, bound to spend eternity apart from Him in a place called hell. Now, now don't take this as some sort of fear tactic of, of needing to run in, in fear to Jesus. I'm just trying to guard the good deposit entrusted to me without compromise. You know, a lot of times we try to take the edge off the gospel or just say, you know, just be a good person. That, that you'll, you'll get there. Don't worry about it. That's not what the gospel tells us. It tells us we are wicked sinners and we need to be forgiven. And by God's grace, He makes that way through Christ. So I just want to encourage you, if you're sitting in this room, you're not a Christian, and you want to know the peace and love and freedom that exists in Christ, the thing that you've been trying to find your entire life through every other means but God, now's the opportunity. So here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to start praying. And if you feel moved by God, you say, you know what? <laughs> I understand it. I get it. I need Christ and I need His forgiveness. I want you to come up here as I'm praying. This is a bold thing. We don't do this very often. But as I was preparing last night and as I feel right now, just the Holy Spirit saying, you need to do this. So I'm just going to start praying to close out our service. And if this is you, I want you to come up here and I will lead you in a prayer of repentance that you might come into a fellowship and a relationship with your Creator. So as I pray, if you're led that way, come up here. There's no shame in it. But a family of God who loves and supports you in this season. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray, God, right now that you are at work in the lives of every person in this room, Lord God. Those that have put their trust in you, who understand what it is to be in a relationship with you, forgiven, free, full of hope. And God, I pray for everyone in the room, Lord, that does not know you. Holy Spirit, that you're stirring in their hearts. That as we guard the good deposit and as we do our part, Lord, Holy Spirit, would you do your part as you draw men unto yourself. You draw women and children unto yourself. You do that part. We can only plant the seed. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would do just that. You would convict the heart of those that walk in condemnation and draw them to yourself. 
And Heavenly Father, I just pray that each one of us understands the significance of guarding the gospel and sharing the gospel and living out the truth that sets us free day in and day out. And we need to know and understand, Lord, that you, again, are the one who causes the increase, who gives the growth, who brings redemption, Lord God. We just do our part. And perhaps this morning, there are just seeds being planted. And I pray that others would come alongside and water. And that others would come alongside and harvest. God, you are so faithful and so good when we are not. If you have questions this morning about anything that I said, you're wrestling through some things, you're just, you're just not quite ready yet, just come talk to us. Come talk to me. I want to help you understand maybe more clearly what it is that we're talking about here. There's freedom in Christ, forgiveness in Christ, and it's by grace, free gift. But we have to take it. We have to walk in it. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this day, for your word, for what you're doing here at Pillar Oceanside. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.